Rambam Mishnah Torah, Hilchais Tumas, Maze, the laws of impurity caused by human corpse, Pedic Hamish Osar, chapter 15. We learned earlier, we learned earlier that the impurity always, so to speak, wants to get out. And what stops impurity from coming out and going into the next room, the next house, the next under the same roof, is a barrier. However, if there is a connecting window cut in that wall, if the window is a handbreadth by a handbreadth or more, then the impurity can escape, so to speak, through that opening. But if the opening is less than a handbreadth, by a handbreadth being that it was made for practical use to hand things back and forth, then that will still be considered a barrier. Whereas if the opening is made to the sunlight and it's made for light, it could be even as small as a drill bit. Now we learn halayn tashmish, a functional, usable window, not for light, but for functional passing back and forth and so on. Shestomokula, which was completely closed up. It used to be open and now it's closed. How much has been closed up? Now there is less than that size of a handbreadth by a handbreadth. So the question is, did disclosure do the trick? Does it create a barrier? Well, it depends. If you use the material, which as we learned earlier is one of the list of materials that creates a barrier for impurity, then then it does. And in the earlier chapters we learned tremendous detail of what does and what doesn't. Anything impure doesn't, anything that's a utensil doesn't, a human being doesn't, and so on and so forth. So here we have another caveat. Although it meets all the earlier qualifications, is it something that by human nature, a person will immediately remove it because he needs it? It doesn't have longevity. It's not going to stay there for very long. The fico, therefore, for example, if he closed up this passageway, this window, he reduced it to less than a tepach by a tepach, with foods that are not even ready to receive impurity. Why? Because they've never had liquid come upon them after they've been severed from the ground. However, the problem with food is, you're going to eat the food. You know the story with Hansel and Gretel? The birds have eaten the crumbs. Food is eaten. So therefore, this food blockage does not create functionality because people take food. You can store the food in that spot for an hour, for a day, for two days, but sooner or later, people are going to say, hey, food. Even though they pass the test, they don't accept impurity because they have never had liquid come upon them since they've been severed. They've never become impure. It's all good. However, human nature is, is that any minute it's going to be removed. So it has no longevity as a barrier. However, are you if it was spoiled food, no one's going to take spoiled food. They'll end up in the hospital. Spoiled food makes a good barrier because no one is taking spoiled food. If you have straw or other byproducts of things that grow and it's spoiled, it's decayed, no one is grabbing that for any purpose because it's yuck. This is a good barrier. However, if it's not spoiled, if it's not decayed, if it's not rotten, it does not create a barrier. Because no one's going to leave good straw when you can use it to create a fire to, uh, to pop your popcorn, to roast your marshmallows. Kosher, of course. Now the Rambam gives us another scenario. <coughs> what if somebody has a grain field, a field of grain right outside this window? And the grain, as it grew, just totally became a barrier and blocked that window. You have just heavy, heavy grain there. Or at least it reduced it to below a tepach by a tepach. That's still not a barrier. What's wrong with it? Looks like a barrier to me. What's wrong with it is, is that no farmer in his right mind is going to let the grain grow up against his house because he'll knock the house down sooner or his intent is, one of these days he's going to remove this, this, this wheat growing on top of his house. Because he's afraid it's going to weaken the wall of his house. And then he's going to have to call, a, as the speller in my dad's show used to say years ago, you'll have to call a carpetner. That's a carpenter, a carpetner. Eastern European Jews used to call carpenters a carpetner. Because the grain is killing his wall. Because it's growing up against the wall. However, if the roots of the grain were far away from the wall, that's not a problem. The roots are not encroaching on his wall. But the head of the grain kept growing and bending over. And that created the barrier. This is a good barrier. Why? Because it's really blocked. He's not removing it so quickly. The grain still has to grow and so on. Or any similar situation, as long as it's there for a good while. Base to Chobis a barrel. Which is filled with dried figs. But what kind of dried figs? Rotten dried figs. Spoiled dried figs. Overripe dried figs. Overripe is my word. Rotten. Decayed. On the one hand, they have not been ready to receive impurity. On the other hand, they're not edible. 
And this barrel is sitting in this opening. Now, what kind of barrel is it? The commentaries qualify and say it's an earthenware barrel. What did we learn previously about earthenware? Earthenware, the impurity has to come within it, inside. And again, if you focus here for a second, or let me better use this so it can be better seen. If a impurity hits the wall of earthenware, it means nothing. It has to hit within. So if the earthenware is facing with the opening, facing the opening of the house, then the impurity goes into the earthenware, and that makes it impure. Whereas if the back of it is facing the house, it bounces right off of it. That's the special law we learned earlier with earthenware. Here, there's a special deal. This earthenware barrel is also filled with rotting dried figs. One thing's for sure, the barrel becomes impure because it's opening. This earthenware opening of this barrel is facing the impurity, so the barrel is already impure. Or a similar sister law, a container filled with straw. But the straw has become decayed, rotten. It's so decayed, it's so rotten, it's so spoiled. It's not fit. You wouldn't feed it to your animal because the animal will get sick. You can't use it to make bricks or mortar. You can't heat with it because it's so smelly and so rotten. And this container with this rotten straw is, has been used as a barrier to plug up this window. So the deal is as follows. Because the opening of this earthenware vessel is facing the impurity, the vessel has become impure. But the food is not going to become impure unless it's fit and it's not fit. So the question is, is the food an extension of the barrel? Or is the food separate of the barrel? What do you mean? The food is sitting in the barrel. Oh, good question. That's exact, exact amount, as they used to say when I was in France. If this stuff, these rotten figs, or this, this rotten straw, can sit there, uh, even if the barrel was gone, it holds itself. So then, it could be a barrier, because it did not become impure. Because it has to be fit to become impure. And this was never fit to become impure. Kishinokalakli imagined this vessel would be removed. Then this could be a good barrier. But if it can't be there on its own, if it would just drop to the ground, it can't act as a barrier. Because it's only an extension of this impure barrel. Why is the barrel impure? Because it's earthenware, and it's opening is facing the impurity. Now the Rambam gives a list. The following entities all do reduce the size of a window. And A, number one is asobim, hamorim, bitter grasses. They're not fit for animal fodder. Why? Because they're so bitter, no one's going to eat them. So they're not going anywhere. B, umatlonius, like bandages. That do not have three finger breaths by three finger breaths. Show them with enough precaution, and they're not going to be used immediately because they were dirty or they're rough. They're not even good enough to clean blood off a scratch because they're too dirty or too uh, rough. So again, the, the issue here is they're not going to be used, so they're going to sit there. Next case, the or a limb, or flesh, which are were hanging limply from a non-kosher animal. No one is going to use this limb because there's something wrong with it. Provided that this animal is so. So Blushit and Sahargit, as Jackie Mason says, provided this animal is so emaciated that it's not even fit to be sold to a non-Jew, no customer in his right mind is going to buy it. It has to be a non-Jew because it's not a kosher animal. Okshura, and it also has to be bound, conditionally tibra, it shouldn't run away because we learned earlier, an animal can be a barrier provided it's bound, but if it's not bound, it's going to just run away and there goes your barrier. And we said earlier, if the barrier will disappear in all probability, it's already not a barrier. The next item on the list, number four, is an impure species of bird, which is resting in the window, provided that it's one which scratches people, where a child will be afraid to play with it because the child will get scratched. So no one will bother it and no one will take it away. And I believe he says that the bird also has to be bound. Otherwise it'll move. The next item of what can be considered a good barrier is if there is a human being, Kofus, who's bound, who bound him? The king. The police. He was arrested by the king's people, by the government, by the feds. The rule is when the government binds somebody and puts him somewhere, nobody better move him. You move him, then you're aiding and abetting. So no one will dare to move him. That's pretty permanent, at least for a while. And the next item is the Ben This is an interesting law. We learned this earlier. Halacha says that a child, a fetus, has to have nine months of, uh, has to be a nine-month pregnancy. Has to be in the womb for nine months. Or at least a few seconds, a few minutes, an hour into the ninth month. Could be born earlier, but it has to be in the ninth month. Or there's something called azibital, a baby born in the seventh month. That, that baby can also live. But by halacha, a baby born in the eighth month is not going to live. Now again, today, with prenatal care and incubation and, and, and neonatal units and all kinds of stuff, all bets are off. Any fetus 
born living could be made to live with enough intervention and enough blessing. But once upon a time, if this child was born clearly in month eight, it was considered not survivable. So Halacha says you can't even touch this baby on Shabbos. Because it's muksa, because it's not touchable. Because it's going to die, and it always died. So when you have this baby on Shabbos, then this isn't going anywhere, so it could actually plug up that hole. Because you're not allowed to touch it. Shari also talk it's forbidden to touch. It's muksa. Again, in our world, it's hard to imagine that, but this is actually Allah. <coughs> the next thing is, when you have salt, which has thorns and other stuff in it, that if you use it for food, it could, God forbid, bring harm to you. It's got, uh, as Alfredo says, very, very dangerous. Very dangerous, you're never going to use it. You can't use it for food, but you can't use it for processing hides, because it'll kill the hide. Provided that it's sitting, laying on a shard, so that it won't damage the wall, otherwise between the salt component, the component of the salt, and the thorns, it'll kill the wall. Call Elo, the entire above list, reduces this opening, so that it becomes an effective barrier for impurity. Because it meets all the conditions, it doesn't accept impurity. It has no intent of removing them, because there's nothing you can do with it. So therefore, it becomes an effective barrier to close or to reduce an opening. Another example. So also, what is the law? What do we do with a holy Torah scroll that for some reason just decayed? It became worn out. What do you do with it? You bury it. You put it in what's called a geniza. So a sacred Torah which became worn out. So they decided to put it there in that opening of that window. That's fine too. That's where he was putting it. If that's going to be its geniza, he's going to build it into that wall. That also can affect a reduction of the opening and block the impurity. And we talked about this earlier. The following list does not work. Hashelik snow, maborod, and hail, makfer, and sleet, bleed and ice, my and water, they will not reduce the opening. First of all, because they are fit and do receive impurity. Any material that receives impurity is problematic. But there's another reason we learned earlier, and that is the other reason is because they're going to melt, and therefore there's no longevity. Here comes from a legalistic perspective a fantastic law. We learned earlier that not only does a corpse convey impurity, but even a piece of a corpse, as long as it's bigger than an olive's worth. And the average olive, it's big enough to convey impurity like it was a whole corpse. But if it's less than an olive, it's not. So what if there was a piece of flesh less than an olive of a corpse, which is not impure? Or, the because I is less than an olive's worth of of the flesh of the carcass of an animal. Or we learned that the minimum of a human bone is that of a barley corn. What if the human bone was less than a barley corn? Or we will learn that the measure of a rodent, a dead rodent, is the size of a lentil. That's the minimum. Lentil size of dead rodent is the minimum. What if this was less than a lentil size? So all of the above are all undersized, less than that which defiles. Interestingly enough, the impure object could become an effective barrier. Because it's not impure until it reaches size. All of these are considered pure until they're impure. And they're not impure because they're not big enough. In the case of the flesh of the corpse, because it's under the size of an olive. In the case of the flesh of an animal carcass, under the size of an olive. In the case of a bone, because it's under the size of a barley corn. In the case of a flesh of a rodent, because it's under the size of a lentil. Furthermore, none of these are important enough to him. Where he's going to move them? The fecal therefore, he has no intent to remove them. So also another example is, if you have food, that is not ready to become impure, it has not been pre-qualified by having liquid come over it and being detached from the ground. But there's another condition here. It's less than the size of an egg. Food less than the size of an egg is not important enough to go into the opening and take it out. has no intent of removing it. Therefore, all of the above, could reduce the opening of a tefach of a tefach to make it less than a tefach of a tefach. And then, it does not convey impurity. What if he closed up this opening with a earthenware vessel? However, unlike the scenario earlier, the opening was away from the impurity, so that the bottom or the side of the earthenware vessel is an effective barrier. It does create a barrier. Because the rule, as we've learned over and over again, with an earthenware vessel is it does not accept defilement from its exterior, only from its interior. However, this has to be so disgusting and so perforated that it can't be used for anything, not even bloodletting. Why? Why do we need it to be disgusting or perforated? In order that he doesn't say, hey, look at this, a good vessel, and take it away. Hey, five, the closing paragraph of this chapter. What if there was a carcass, I'm sorry, what if there was a human corpse in the house? Hey, we learned earlier that a quarter, a fourth of a cob of bones, of human bones, is enough to bring about impurity. So what if there was either a body, a corpse, or bones, 
The bottom line is, is that it reaches, it meets all the qualifications discussed earlier of corpse or bones that do bring about impurity. Now, we go back to our discussion of an opening, and he reduces the opening with a fragment of bone. Less than a barley's were barley corn. And we learned earlier that that is considered a reduction. I'd say that tiny reduction brings it down less than a tapas by tapas. Less than a handbreadth by handbreadth. For now, for this scenario, it's not considered an effective reduction. Why? We just said it is? No, not here. Because in this case, there are other bones in that house. This little bone fragment will combine with the other bones. So now it's not a tiny bone fragment, it's one of a lot of bone fragments. And so also, if there was a corpse, or there was an olive's worth size minimum from the flesh of the corpse, and he used the flesh of a corpse to reduce the opening, it combines with the corpse in the house. It's not an effective reduction. It's just as a bone combines with the other bone, and it's not an effective reduction. The flesh combines with the other flesh of the corpse, and it's not an effective reduction. However, but if you mix and you have bone, and then you have flesh, or if you have bones and use flesh, if you have flesh and use bones, that's fine. Now, what if he used a, the, the wolf and the warp? In order to create material, you have the material going two ways. One is called a wolf, and the other is called a warp. Once upon a time, everybody knew what the wolf was. Everybody knows what the warp was. Today, we know what the store looks like. Because we go in and we buy clothing in a store. Once upon a time, they used to go to a tailor, and they would first spin the threads, and so on. It's all production. So if he uses this material, that's either going one way or the other way. What's the problem with this material? The problem is that they have impurity. They are leprous. Garments become leprous. And therefore, these particular garments have become leprous. There is a whole section of impurity with regard to leprosy. So far, what we learned with regard to the leper is how he becomes pure with the sacrifices and so on. But we haven't learned the ins and outs of leprosy yet, which is coming. Is that exciting or what? So here, this wolf and warp has become leprous. A begush be besapras, another example. We learned earlier about a besapras. What's a besapras? It's a field, a large field that had a corpse buried in it. And that field was plowed. And in all probability, the bones of that corpse were dispersed throughout the field. So we talked about that a large section of that field has to be pronounced by rabbinic decree, a base hapras, a field where human bone fragments have been spread forth. So now you have some soil from that field, enamiot, material that is plagued by leprosy, soil from a field that has been declared impure, enamiot is not an effective reduction. Why? We learned earlier, shadob or tome, enachesis, an impure substance does not create an effective barrier. Also, levena me'afar besapras. However, if he created a brick, using the soil of this field, he transformed the soil, the earth, into brick. This brick is pure. And it can also effectively reduce. Why? We just said it's from this field that's been declared rabbinically impure. Well, this rabbinic decree is only effective for the soil itself. Not when the soil is transformed to something else. We learned earlier that we can even use this soil to create stuff for the holy. This decree only applied to the earth of that field itself, not a transformed entity. Here comes an interesting scenario. What if that handbreadth by handbreadth size was reduced inside? There was this massive spiderweb that was spun. So spiderweb, it ends up, it's substance. Is this considered enough to reduce? If it was substantive, then it does. But if it was really not substantive, and it says substantial, then it does not create a barrier. <coughs> so somebody needs to determine whether this is a solid web or it's just uh, some webalach. End of chapter 15. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, Tumas, Mace, the laws of the impurity of human corpse, Pedic, Shisha, or chapter 16. Now we have certain principles which we've established, and that is that a structure called an Ohel. Tents over the impurity, does not let it go out. Unless there is an opening, then it can go out through the opening, depending whether the opening is an opening to pass things back and forth. It's a tepach by a tepach. If it's a light opening, it's as big as a drill bit, and so on and so forth. We also established much earlier that if there is no tent over a real source of impurity, then the tumor ascends on a straight line, descends on a straight line, and does not spread forth. So here we have some interesting classical scenarios bringing out some fine points regarding these points. Page also chapter 16. Aruba, that's a vacation spot. Aruba means a window, an opening. An opening, shehi, which exists, I think in our modern terminology, you could say a skylight. But the particular skylight has no window. An open-air skylight. A skylight, that's an Aruba. Shebe'emtza, tikras habayis, which is located in the middle of the roof of the house. You have right here, 
Instead, in place of this chandelier coming down, you would have an aruba, an opening, a skylight, without glass. Whether this aruba has a tefach by a tefach, which we learned earlier, a handbreadth by a handbreadth is the minimum. Or it does not have this minimum. But the scenario is, imagine the source of impurity, which for our purposes, for example, could be an olive-sized piece of corpse. That's a very small piece. And it's located on the floor, lined up with this aruba, lined up with this open skylight. It's lined up so that if you were to shoot a uh, radar line, if you were to shoot a line, you would see it's exactly lined up. Then, Tahir, it is pure. Why? Because the source of impurity is lined up with open air. It is exposed to the air. The principle is the impurity shoots straight up. The impurity shoots straight up and goes out the uh, skylight. All done. Not a problem. There's no tenting. There's no structure. There's no oil here. <coughs> because the impurity escaped. Gone. <coughs> Excuse me. The key here is, whether it's a small opening, whether it's a big opening, the source of impurity is directly in line with open space. So there's no tenting. However, Ushar is the rest of the house. Tome is impure. Why? Because the impurity... I'm sorry, we're on... Because the impurity also spreads through the rest of the house. Why? Because the impurity was also lined up with the opening. But it was only lined up by the opening. And there's no impurity anywhere outside the boundary of the opening. Then call Habayas Toya, then the whole house is pure. Because everything escapes. In the earlier scenario, it was wider than the opening. The next scenario is, this source of impurity, part of it was under the regular roof, the ceiling. And part of it was under the open skylight. Now we need to know if the aruba was a tefach, a handbreadth, by handbreadth or more. Then the whole house is impure, because the impurity is also resting under the roof, under the ceiling. That's another. And also, opposite the aruba is also tome, because it's one source of impurity. But if it doesn't have the opening of a tefach, if the impurity is large enough, where if you break it up into two, it will have two required minimums. You'll have enough to make a minimum under the ceiling, and under the window, then everything is impure. But if not, there isn't enough, then the house itself is impure. Opposite the opening, it is pure. Next case, there was an opening of a handbreadth in this opening, in this window. Let's say somebody's climbing on the roof. There's a small opening, and they put their foot on the opening. So now the opening has been closed. Then for sure, everything just became one tent. And in this case, whether the source of impurity was only under the ceiling, or only under the opening, it makes no difference because there's no more opening. Everything is now impure. Habayas, the house. And that which is opposite the Aruba, or others say, that which is opposite the source of impurity. Because the top has been closed. Now, what about the other? What about the person whose foot it is? The person who mixed up this impurity, the two sources, by covering this, he mixed the open impurity and the closed impurity, he becomes impure. Because this person, through his foot, is an ohel. He became the tent. <coughs> However, what if there is no opening? Larger than a tepach by tepach or more, by Satum and the impurity was Tachasatikra under the roof, then Zesh and also Then, because the opening was not large enough, it's not a large enough opening for impurity to go out, so the one who placed his foot on the opening is pure. Shein Tumma Yates with Tepach, because the impurity cannot escape if the opening is less than a tepach, less than a handbreadth by handbreadth. So the fact that he put his foot on this smaller opening is meaningless. The impurity does not emerge. What if the source of impurity is lined up under the skylight? Again, the open window skylight is not the glass. Im, or the opening in the ceiling. Im, in Tumma Kodma, Sarakle, Sahir depends on what came first. If the impurity was there before the foot, then Tome, he's impure. Because he created a tent over impurity. However, in Ragley, if his foot was there before the impurity, he's pure. Because his foot is part of the oil. Then Tome, and Tome, impurity does not go out of an oil. An oil blocks it. So his foot was there. Before the impurity, the impurity can't get out past the ceiling. So again, these are some very interesting scenarios with very fine uh, differences. Bays, another interesting scenario too. What if there was an olive sized portion of a corpse in the mouth of a raven? The raven is flying around with an olive sized portion of a carcass, a, cor- a corpse, rather, a human corpse. And then the raven perched itself on this opening. Now this piece of human corpse is within the airspace of this window. So now you have this impurity coming in. 
Even though you don't have a big enough opening, tepach by tepach, still being that the corpse, the human corpse piece, is there, Habayas told me, the fact that the raven is there, it makes the whole house impure because the piece of corpse is there. Gimel, next scenario, Bayas a house, Va'aruba with this opening, Be'ensa, Tikas Habayas in the middle of the house, Va'aliyah al-Gabov, and there is an Aliyah. There is a second story. Give me a second here. There is a second story. Ma'aruba acheres yesh be'emtza, tiklas aliyah. There's another opening in the middle of the ceiling of the second floor. Vihaaruba is mechubon ezu, lamaila mezu, and the two openings, the two open skylights, are lined up on the same line, first floor and second floor. Bein sheyesh ba'aruba spesayach tepach, bein sheyesh ba'aruba spesayach whether there is a hand by hand opening, or it's smaller than that. Betumah babayis, assuming the source of impurity is in the house. Kinegat ba'aruba is lined up with the two aligned openings, toher, then the house is pure, because it shoots straight out. The impurity could shoot out one story, could shoot out straight, two stories. The hashar tomei, but everything else is impure. Because it also spreads to the house. But that's because the impurity was somewhere in the house. So it fills the house. But the area and the space of this open skylight is pure. However, if the impurity, the source of impurity was lined up opposite the openings, then it goes straight up. And that's our principle that that this impurity ascends and pierces through. So in this case, the impurity went straight out the skylight. Because that was where it was. And it did not spread to the house. The house is pure. What if the aruba, the skylight was a tepach wide and the impurity is both under the roof as well as under the opening? So now you have it spreading all over the place. And then he plugs that opening with something that can accept impurity, which we learned earlier is not a good plug, not a good covering. Whether we put this closure of this material that could take on impurity, either to close the opening in the second floor or to close the opening on the first floor, everything is impure. Because you have something impure which is causing a chatzitza, which has the worst of all worlds. It spreads it, but it doesn't let it go out. Nosan, Dobor, Sheinai, Mechabal, Tumah, Arubas, Habayas, but if he places a material that cannot take on impurity on this opening of the house, Habayas, Tumah, the first floor of the house itself becomes impure because it has a real covering which created a separation, the Ali on the second floor, Tahira is pure because the impurity cannot escape the first floor and get to the second floor because there's a covering. What if this covering went instead on the opening of the second floor? So there's an opening from the first floor from the first floor to the second floor lined up with an opening on the second floor which has been plugged. Habayas, Tumah, Tumah, now both the first floor and the second floor become impure. However, anything above that closure is pure because it's a real closure and you can't get past that closure. So if there's a person or a vessel or utensil on top of that closure on the second floor, it's no problem. But if the window does not have an opening of a tepach by tepach, of a hand breath by hand breath, we have two more in the source of impurity. Tachas tikas is under the roof of the house. And also, and he plugged it with bingo, either with something that does take on impurity, or something that does not take on impurity. Whether on the house, or on the second floor opening, the house becomes impure. Why? Because impurity does not escape to the second floor because the opening is less than a tepach. And we learned earlier you need a tepach by tepach for the impurity to move. If the impurity source was lined up with the windows and he places something that does take on impurity above them or below them then the first floor and the second floor are both impure because he mixed now between the first floor and the second floor this closure but that was only if it accepted impurity but if it was a real barrier that does not accept impurity whether above or below that contains it and keeps the impurity in the house itself not to the second floor now he says he qualifies this puts a caveat in he says all of the above laws is only when we're talking about an open window skylight an opening however we talked about this earlier but if the ceiling which cracked open for some reason, there became an opening by itself, not a skylight, not a window, but somehow they developed an opening by itself. Shiura Maliyegra, we learned earlier that it's the size of a tile or a raptor or some say a fist. To make sure beyond, as we learned earlier, which is smaller. Dalid, when somebody causes this opening in the ceiling, which could be large, until he created an opening, a window like opening. The purpose was that he has the leg of a bed. Commentaries bring down that this translation, leg of bed, is in Dvorim where it talks about that his bed was made out of. Uh, iron. So eres means a leg of a bed. Or, or eres means a bed. And the leg of the bed. He took a leg of a bed and he pushed, pushed it through the opening. 
up on top. So now you have a leg of a bed closing this opening. Now it's closed. Yes, what I say, if it has an opening of a tap, a hand breath by hand breath, but tumor, the bias and the source of impurities in the house, up all the other then the second floor is also impure. Shane Kliyam, a couple tumor chaitzes, because the bed receives impurity. It's a utensil, it's a piece of furniture. So therefore, furniture, usable vessels do not block impurity. And it's a bed. The in Engbop is if it does not have the opening, there's a whole section we're going to learn, which is called, it's also attracted in Mishnah, Kalim. Possibly the most difficult of all these sections. Talking about the, the many, many tons of different utensils. Different pieces of usable stuff, not usable stuff. Make from this, make from this. The bottom line is, is if it's a usable utensil, it conducts impurity. So, the in Engbop is what if there isn't an opening of a tapach by a tapach, so the second floor becomes pure. But the foot of the bed, the leg of the bed that extends into the first floor, to make it becomes impure, like any other utensil, that becomes a tent. But if it diminished on its own, being that it's a maziba opening and not an aruba opening, then it has to be as big as an egg roof, which is this tile or slate or fist, to make sure beyond as we explained. Next scenario five, aruba should be the opening, this open window skylight is in the ceiling of the house. Aruba, an opening, a window, an open glass window, that's under the roof of the house, an opening in the roof of the house. In the ceiling, and there's an earthenware pot sitting on the ground, and it's lined up, opposite this opening. Now, the deal is, and if you see in the diagram, if it will ascend, imagine the impurity ascending up. It'll be a tight fit, escaping this opening, so that it will actually encompass the opening. Here you see that the opening and the pocket are about the same size. Tight fit. And the impurity was, where was the source of impurity we're concerned about? Under this earthenware pot. Now, remember, we learned an interesting halacha, which we're going to visit, revisit again and again and again, that any utensil, any usable piece of utensil, any usable utensil, becomes impure by touching a source of impurity, with the exception of earthenware. Earthenware can only become impure if it enters its airspace. So again, if you look at this cup, I put the source of impurity in the airspace, it becomes impure. I just touch it, it doesn't become impure. That's a special rule that exists with earthenware. Where is the source of this particular impurity? Underneath. Again, look at this cup. Underneath. The earthenware vessel pressed down to the ground where there is no tapak by tapak space. We learned earlier about the importance of tapak by tapak by tapak space to create an ohel. This is called ritsutsa. It's pressed up against each other. There's no space. Ritsutsa, they know, they know it's between it and the ground. So the source of impurity is pressed tight between the earthenware pot, the earthenware vessel, and the ground. So what happens to this impurity is what we're concerned about. Next scenario, the source of impurity was in the pot. Which makes, which makes the pot impure, the earthenware vessel impure, or on it, the fact of the matter is, either way, tuma, the principle is, that if there is no closed tent, there's no closed structure, then the impurity, because Vayla ascends, and shoots up, straight up, because we this, or shoots straight down. Therefore, being that this is lined up, and the impurity, theoretically, is able to go straight up through the open window, so the house could actually be declared pure. However, what if the source, what if the, Earthenware vessel was lifted above the ground at Tepach, so we had that Tepach by Tepach by Tepach space, which creates this earthenware vessel as an ohel now, the impurity is under it, or anywhere else under the roof of the house, so the whole earthenware vessel takes in the impurity from within it, then the whole house is impure. Because the impurity doesn't merely shoot straight up, it goes all around. And under this pot, Tommy is also impure, it becomes a but in the pot, top of the pot, is pure. Why? Because a earthenware vessel does not take on impurity from its outside, and the air space of the Pot is open to the air. But if there was a vessel within it, on top of it, it's pure because it can't get in. But if the impurity was in it, on top of it, the whole house is pure. Because it's only lined up with the open window. What if the pot was under the window? The window opening was much bigger than the pot. That if it goes up, there's much more than a tefach. There's more than a tefach between the exiting the wall of the pot and the window. Then the ground attack between the impurities in it, or upon it, or under it, by his toilet, it's pure because the opening is large enough. Next scenario, this pot is laying at the exit doorstep by the doorway. 
in such a way, Shimtala, where if it would have sent straight up, some of it is within and some of it is without. And there was a flat impurity source without space there under it. Straight up, if, if, it's, if, if straight up is in the house of the house, it becomes impure. But if it's lifted at that point, the source of impurity is under it. in the house, under it, the house is impure. The teicha and within it, the on the top of it, is pure. The source of impurity was within it. The house is impure. Because it touches the lintel. Because it goes under it from the house. Because it's all all one If it was not touched the lintel, the opening of the tefach, or it was on the side, but the tuma impurity is under it, and it goes straight down, and only under it is impure. But the house is pure. Now you should have in your book itself a diagram of two rectangles, which is showing six the beams of the house, the and that's the first floor, and the second floor, which has no ceiling. The way the beams are, they're lined up beam for beam. Empty space, open space, lined up at open space. Where you have the diagram here, where you have on the left side, beam for, at least in my book. Let me see where it is in, in, in the other book. Yeah, on the left side, you have beams aligned above each other. So you have beam, space, beam, space, beam. Every beam is open at tepach, a handbreath. And between every beam is obvious, it's space. Air. The impurity is under one of these. Then, if it's under the beam, only under that beam is impure. Because the beam becomes an oil for itself. What if the impurity is between the lower beam and the upper beam? Which means if you look at B here, the tumor is sitting on B. The source of impurity is on the beam, which is B. What if it's all, I'm sorry, then only the space between the first and second floor, only the space between B and, and A, only the space between B and B, between the roof, between the first floor and second floor, and the top is impure. What if it's on the top one? Then opposite it until the heaven is impure. So if somebody goes over it, then it becomes impure because that's where it's sitting, on the very top. Now we look at beams aligned above empty spaces. The other diagram, what if the impurity was on a beam which was lined up against the open space and the impurity is under one of them, then whatever is there is impure. What if it's at the very top? Then going up, it's impure. What if there's no opening of a hand between the beams, which diminishes the open space? Whether was lined up, or was not lined up, whether it was one diagram or the other. And the impurity was under them, or between them, or above them. Then the impurity shoots straight up, and only makes the area opposite impure. Because any impurity that's not under a tefach airspace squared, a tefach square airspace, then goes either up or down. I'm sorry. Next case, bias a house. Shaniz da gagay, where the roof was split. Uksolov in the house, Manasseh Shechalakin, it was split into two. So, bias a tumma bechesia chitsin, and the impurity was lodged in the outer half where the door is. Hakelim shebechesia pnimi, any utensils in the inner space, kulon tayim, are pure, because the house was split. So, you have two ohels. Bias a tumma bechesia pnimi, but if the impurity was in the inner half, if the width of the split was like a plumb line, then any utensils in the outer half are pure. If it was less than a plumb line, then they are impure. Because it's a question if it's two OLs or one OL. Okay. Finally, seven, the famous Aksadra, which is a porch. Shanizdika, this porch was split into two. So now you have two OLs. The impurities on one side of this porch. And then all the vessels on the other side are pure. Because it's like two OLs, two tents, two structures. And one structure is impure and one structure is pure. One next to the other. And space between them. Because the split goes throughout the entire roof of this Aksadra. What if he placed either his foot or a reed above the split? So now, no more split. He now brought the two tents together and he mixed up all the impurities. So now the whole thing is impure. I'm just going to have a sip of water. I made a broth earlier. What if he placed this reed on the earth, lined up with the split? I'm sorry, what if he placed this reed 
Yes, on the earth, lined up with the split. Apilically, God, even if it was large, and the Arabs does not bring it together. Actually, the way a has to be a tap of space under the split. Interesting scenario. There was a man on the earth, under the split. A human being, he mixes these two halves of this pork together. Because a human being can be considered halakhically as if he is uh, empty, as if he's hollow. Let's say the belly area is empty. The upper part of the human is like a tent, which has the height of the tepah. So it creates a tent-like atmosphere. piled up utensils one on top of the other. The the upper one was higher than the earth. The eight of that mixed two that mixed together. The source of impurity. When all the utensils below it are like vessels under an ohel, which has the law of vessels under an ohel. End of chapter sixteen. Rambam Mishnah Torah Tumas makes the laws of impurity due to exposure to human corpse, and of course for people. As most people are not accustomed to studying these laws, these are very, very complex and challenging laws, especially as we get into the more complex laws. And today, we have a very challenging section. This is the section about ziz. Z-I-Z, ziz. Ziz is a Hebrew word. It means something projecting outward. So in simple terms, when we have a house, or a structure, or a tent, and there's impurity in it, it conveys impurity to everything within it. What if we have a projection, projecting out of the house, some kind of a beam, or some kind of a pole, or something, sticking out on the outside? The question is, does this also encompass the impurity which would be under it and bring it back to the house? Does it take the impurity from the house and bring it to everything under it? If you have an exterior projection outside a doorway, for example. I think an example in our modern day, at least in California, could be a real estate sign. That is a a vertical pole, a horizontal pole, and then comes down and it says for sale. If that is immediately up to the house and it's going to have to have another detail which most real estate poles don't have, it has to also project downward. This could be the type of Z's that we open up with and then we get to other types. So this is all about the Z's which is all, of course, rooted in the Mishnah. And there is a diagram of this in the Chayenu book, which we use here, page 67 in, in this year's Chayenu book. Or in any Chayenu book, there's going to be an illustration. Okay. And we have more diagrams coming, being printed as we speak. Ziz, shehu what if there is a projection? Protruding out from the side of an entry of the house. Commentaries say it has to be near the entry in order to extend the house. If you look at the diagram, it also has to project and point downward. So the wall, A, is the house. B, is the projection going outward. C, is the projection going downward. Now, the issue is, there's some kind of impurity under that. Does it carry it back to the house? Or there's an impurity in the house. Does it carry it to an object or a person under that? That's the issue. So, it was 12 hand breaths above the ground. or less, Which means it's 12 hand breaths or less from the ground. Then, it conducts the impurity no matter how large or small it is. Ordinarily, anything that would conduct impurity has to be a tepach by a tepach. A handbreadth by a handbreadth. Even if this is smaller than that, it conducts it. This is the special projection law, the special Z's law. Now, commentaries struggle with this. That Interestingly enough, many of these laws are explained by the Rambam in great detail in his commentary to Mishnah. Pirush HaMishnayis La Rambam, which is a commentary that the Rambam wrote much earlier in time than he wrote the Mishnah Torah. Many of the diagrams that are brought in these books are from that work of Pirush HaMishnayis La Rambam. And there, in Pirush HaMishnayis, the Rambam says that this is a halacha l'meisha This is a tradition taught by God to Moses at Mount Sinai, which means it has a rooting, it is rooted in Biblical law, not literally biblical, but the power of Sinai law, Sinaic law. Now the Rambam brings a different opinion, and we find this is quite common, that the Rambam, in his later years, researched and came up with a different approach, or in very plain, simple English, changed his mind. And this happens in Halakha, it's called Mishnah Achrein or Mishnah Basra. It's called this, the left uh, decision, after the first decision, a reversal. So here the Rambam says, what's his reversal? The double border, who one thing is clear, Shane may be elevated that this fact, that the projection carries and conducts impurity, is a rabbinic ordinance. Earlier, in the Pirish Mishnah, Rambam, he said it came from Mount Sinai. Here he says, no, it's rabbinic. Now the Rambam says the same thing applies in any similar scenario where it's not really large enough and it doesn't meet all the requirements. But there's a special law, like this one. If we're not talking about a healthy, the Rambam uses the expression healthy, in other words, a real minimum size, because it doesn't meet the minimum size requirement, it must be rabbinic. This is the principle the Rambam establishes here. Now, what if it was higher than 12 pochim? 12 handbreadths. 
or instead of jutting down, as the diagram shows, it juts up. And now the Rambam brings another factor, and we have a diagram here. What we have here is a house, and you see in the center of the house there's like a molding, which is projecting outward. Like we have in our world, you'll have a nice old houses, you'll have like crown moldings, where they put a molding at the top, or sometimes they put a molding, like right here, we have a molding in the center. They used to have, on the exterior of the house, they used to have these designs of moldings. As he says here, in, in the notes, in the Greco-Roman period, this was very common, Greco referring to Greece, in the Greco-Roman period, these kind of exterior applications were quite common, and now he says, uh, where are we here? Any kind of ornamental embellishments. The picture I showed you goes to the next paragraph, but this is an ornamental embellishment. Coming out of a building, traditionally it would not conduct impurity unless it was a tepach by a tepach. So also projection on top of a door. Even if it was only a reed covering the width of the door, the fact is, it projects somewhat. These type of ornamentations do not conduct impurity unless it was a tepach by tepach. And here comes the diagram I just showed you. That ziz, she was saved with a ziz that surrounds the entire house. And consumes within the doorway a tepach, which means in the doorway area, at the entrance, all of these have to be at the entrance in order that they can flow in and out of the house. We're talking about bringing impurity into the house or out of the house. Maybe it's a tumma conducts impurity. What if it consumed less than a tepach at the entrance of the house? And there is impurity in the house. Then the utensils under it are impure. If the impurity is only under it, it doesn't conduct it back into the house. Why? Because it's not large enough. So also a courtyard which is surrounded by an exadra. Okay. Now we have Gimbal What if you have a window opening that's made for use? We learned earlier that there are various kinds of windows. One is made to pass objects from one structure to the other. That's what we're talking about here. There's another opening, and that is to bring light. That's not what we're talking about here. So we learned earlier that the minimum for that is a tapach by a tapach. You have a projection on, on, on top of the window. Even if it was the width of a, of a finger breath, a thumb breath, maybe a satuma, it can conduct a tumor. Impurity. As long as it is higher than the window, two fingers or less. It was more than that, so it's too distant from the window. And maybe a satuma, it does not conduct the impurity unless it has a minimum size, which is a tepah by tepah. However, the projection on top of a window which is made for light, which we said has a much smaller requirement, even a drill bit size. Maybe a satuma b'chosho can conduct impurity as small as it is. I feel like a b'chosho, even if it is very high. If there's a building that comes outside the window, shamashke, shamashke, or there's a projection, some kind of structure that's outside a window where somebody who gazes outside the window leans on that projection, as he gazes, I guess maybe you can say, I'm not sure, maybe like a windowsill in, in, in our world where the windowsill can project outside the house. And maybe a satuma does not bring the impurity. But if there was a projection, you imagine the building is not there, you imagine only the projection. And the higher projection brings the impurity. The case of the being called Zizim by the Tumma, how is the system where these Zizim bring impurity? Because what we mean to say is if there was impurity under one of them, or there was impurity in the house, meaning all of the above laws, what do we mean as these does conduct? The scenario here is if there's impurity under the projection and not in the house, if there's impurity in the house but not under the projection, it conducts. And now both become impure. Everything is impure. Whether it's the house or under the disease. What if there are Zizim? Two Zizim. One on top of the other, and each one has the tepach by tepach requirement, and there is a tepach space, a hand breath, between them. So we have two projections, one on top of the other. Let's say you have a house, and at 10 feet high, you have a projection, a tepach by tepach. At 20 feet high, you have a projection, a tepach by tepach, over it. The impurity is situated under the lower one, straight down. So the lower one, being that it's a tepach by tepach, creates an ohel, a structure of its own. Then then only under, only the bottom one is impure. But if the impurity was between one projection and the other, then only between them is impure. Because it doesn't go above the top projection, doesn't go below the bottom projection. What if the impurity source was on top of the upper projection? Then from that point and on up to the heaven is impure. But under it is pure. 
The plot thickens. What if the higher one projected outside the projection of the lower one? A tefach or more. The impurities situated under the lower one. Or between them. And below them. And between them. Is impure. It was on top of the upper one. Connected by the Rekia. Then above it. Up to the heaven is impure. But it can't go down. What if the upper projection was larger than the lower one? Less than a handbreadth. And there is an impurity below them. And then below that. And between them. Is impure. What if the impurity was between them or under the overage? Under the extra piece. Under them. And below the extra. Is impure. But the lower one creates a barrier. Under that toy is pure. What if each one has a tepah by a tepah? But between them there is no space of a tepah. So there is no real separation. And the impurity is below the lower one. Only below that it is impure because that is a barrier. But if it was between them, upon the top one, and remember, there is no sufficient space between the top and the bottom. Tell me going straight up, it's impure to the heavens. But if there isn't, whether there is between them the opening of a tepah or not, whether the impurity was under the lower one or between them, or on top of the upper one, the law is that it's a limited tumor, and as we learned much earlier, tumor, the law is the impurity shoots straight up, it shoots straight down, but it doesn't spread. Because it's called a tumor, it's flat, and there is no space to create a separate entity. So also, if there were two curtains, a similar law applies when there are two curtains that are a handbreadth apart from the ground, uh, higher than the ground, the tefach, zuag on top of the other, the same law applies. The next law, okay, let me be when there are kalim, utensils or garments. A luchis or tablets of wood, shaleh, shemunachim, zeagabzeh, which are one on top of the other, between the tzutzah b'neim, and there is a flattened tumah, or a tzutzah tumah between them. Flush. The source of impurity was a tefach higher. What was a tefach above the ground? Then we know that is that the vessel creates an ohel. Maybe a satum lechalkem shatachta and brings it to everything below it. If they were, however, stone or marble, I feel like the Even if they were a thousand cubits higher than the ground, because we know this goes straight up and goes straight down. Because marble is like earth. Now he goes on to say. So here we have it. What it looks like is two diamond shapes touching each other at a narrow corner. Luchais shall eat tablets of wood, which are touching at their corner, which means there isn't a wide margin where they're touching. It's just a, a tiny bit. And they're both above the ground, at least at that point. And there is impurity under one of them. These are two separate structures. So therefore, the vessels, the utensils under the other are pure. Because it's not considered one touching the other. At least at You need a tepach boundary line. And the same law applies as if somebody touched the utensil that touched the tent in which a corpse is. It's touching something. But all the other utensils where we said that they conduct, but they do not block. One of these utensils created a structure on the corpse. All the vessels and utensils on top are impure because they conduct but they do not create barrier and their impurity is considered as the impurity of utensils which create a tent-like structure upon a corpse and even the utensils above it which are not touching the impurity are impure why? because of the law of utensils which touch utensils which became a tent upon a corpse next case again if you can zero in zoom in right here that dark line what he's showing us is the bottom of the structure of a barrel sitting on its bottom on the ground, in free, open structure. Chavis, an earthenware jug. A jug. I said barrel, I meant jug. Shehi, yesheves al shuleh Sitting on its base, in open space, which means it's not in another tent. There is a minimum olive size of a corpse within it. Remember, it is earthenware. So it has to be within it. Because we learned that that's the only way earthenware becomes defiled. A takhda or under it. Opposite its base. Then the law is the impurity shoots straight up and shoots straight down. And the barrel is impure because the eye object is in it. Or even when it's under it, it shoots straight up. Because it shoots up and its inner space becomes impure because of this special law. However, if the source of impurity was under the thickness of the walls of this jug, then also the impurity goes up and down and it sticks in the walls. Doesn't come out of the walls. The barrel is pure. 
Because even though the impurity shoots straight up, it only stays in the wall. And in order for an earthenware vessel, an earthenware vessel to become impure, it has to go within the airspace. The wall is not sufficient. Now, what if the impurity was under the wall itself? Part of the impurity was under the thickness of the wall. Part of it was under the airspace of the barrels of the drug itself. Then it goes up and it goes down and it becomes impure. But what if the wall itself was a tefach wide? And a commentary struggle here. How do you have the wall of a drug, a handbrush wide? The answer is including the handle. It's all impure. But at the opening, it is pure. Because as we said earlier, the impurity spreads forth only within the walls. When does the above apply? If the barrel came into the setting in a state of purity, and it's our task, if we can, to make the barrel impure, that's the subject matter here. However, different laws apply in If the barrel or the jug was impure to begin with. Or if the jug was higher than the earth, a tefach, a hand breath, a mechusar, it was covered, a kfuya apiyar turned over on its mouth, and the source of impurity was under it, every one of the above scenarios bring about impurity. However, we know that there is a law called if you close and seal, it's called tzambi posel, a sealed closure. If it was encompassed with tzambi posel, a sealed closure, and then it's, even if it's sitting on a corpse, but it's a job which is sealed closed, this is the posel in Chumash. A verse in the Torah that a sealed object, a sealed utensil, protects the impurity from entering it. And by definition, therefore, the food and liquid in it are pure. However, anything on top of the sealed jug becomes impure because it conducts it, but it doesn't allow it to go within it. When jugs are resting on their bases, or sitting on their sides in open space, whenever we say in open space, we mean not in a tent. They're touching one another with a tepach beneath them, and there's impurity under one of them. Then the impurity goes straight up and straight down because it's flush impurity, as mentioned earlier. Again, the same caveat. Does the above apply to tepach to begin with? But if they were impure to begin with, or they are above the ground, the tepach, which allows an ohel to develop, and there's a source of impurity under one of them, under them all, it is impure. Because it all becomes one ohel. End of chapter 17.